And as we embark on this focused time, this season of prayer and giving as a church, we're dwelling in Psalm 145, and you'll need to have your Bibles open, page 631 if you're in a church Bible or on your tablet or phone, the verses won't be on the screen. And I want us to see from this ancient song, from this psalm this morning, how our God invites and our God provides. You know, it has been said that this psalm is a hallelujah from beginning to end. And if you've got a church Bible, you'll see in the footnote that it says that this is an acrostic poem, the verses of which begin with successive letters of the Hebrew alphabet. And hallelujah simply means praise the Lord in Hebrew. It's a call, it's a call to praise the Lord in the A to Z of our lives. And it gives us reasons why we, as Christians, can be a hallelujah from head to foot, praising God through the A to Z of our lives. And we hear this call. It's a determination even, right from verse 1, follow with me, a psalm of praise of David. I will exalt you, my God the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. I said a couple of weeks ago that we're wired for worship as human beings. And only God is worthy of that worship and praise. Only God the King is worthy. Worthy to be lit, to be exalted, which means lifted up. That's what it means. And really, as I've looked at this psalm over the last few weeks, it's been that phrase at the beginning of verse 2 that stood out to me. Every day, I will praise you. Every day. Through thick and thin. On the mountaintops. And in the deep valleys. And just in the ordinary, everyday streets of life. And did you pick up that sense of determination too? I I will praise you. I will exalt you every day. When we think of praise and worship, our minds might immediately turn to, well, to this, to our gathered worship on Sundays, and that's right. Gathering together as God's people at the start of the week is essential for us. It's good for us. And our gathered worship on Sundays inspires and replenishes and equips us for all that we're going to encounter during the week. It, gathering together like this picks us up, puts us back on the road to walk with the Lord. It, it recalibrates our wandering hearts in order to sustain us for worship every other day of the week. Scattered across the city in our Homes, our schools, our workplaces, our neighborhoods, our clubs. Worshipping transforms our everyday actions. And that's in all things, not just here on Sundays, not just in the really easy times or in the really difficult times, but in all circumstances, every day. Well, turn your eyes to the screen and we're going to watch a short animation that explores that relationship between our worship here today and our worship throughout the week. Head down, grit teeth, roll on another week. Mundane mornings, mundane job and tasks, 
Eat, work, tweet, graft, sleep, repeat. Late nights, early nights, keeping balance right. Dinner, dishes, washing, bed, bath, morning light. Concentrating hard, throwing myself in. Lift my given hands to work and losing touch with what's within. Each day, a gentle numbing. Sunday. Gathered church. Gathered people. Gather myself to worship. Lift my heart. Head up. Breathe deep. Invite you into the week. Lift my given hands to work and touching heaven as I do. Lift my hands to work and work's an instrument of praise. Your abiding presence filling up my days. Turn my eyes to you and your delight compels my tasks. Lift my heart to worship. Lift my heart to bask in your warmth. Even in busyness, I'm stilled in you. When scattered, you're with us. And we are in you. Our God is worthy of praise every day. And secondly, this psalm teaches us that our God is the generational God. Have a look at verses four onwards with me. One generation, verse four, commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. They speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty. And I will meditate on your wonderful works. They tell of the power of your awesome works. And I will proclaim your great deeds. They celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. If we'd have been living in ancient Israel thousands of years ago then, what would jump into our minds as we thought about God's mighty acts? Well, it would be the Exodus, how God rescued his people from slavery in Egypt. That's the the series we're looking at in the 7 p.m. services at the moment. And in the centuries after that Exodus, when God's people lived in the land of Israel, they passed on the memories, they passed on the meaning of those events and of how they were God's treasured possession belonging to him, having been rescued by him and what it meant to live for their God. You'll know that almost every nation, every people group shares story from their history down through the generations of events in the past that were foundational to their people's story, of magnificent achievements that were in the past. Well, for Israelite families, this was what they had to pass on, the splendor of their God and his rescue of them. And this message, this awe and wonder has been passed down through the generations, fulfilled in Christ, passed down even to us here today, such that people from all over the world, people young and old, can gather here this morning in Nottingham and know too that we belong to this God. And as has always happened, the prayers and the words of one generation have brought life and blessing to the next and the next and the next. You know, the oldest person in our church is almost 100 years old. 
And the youngest person in our church is just a few weeks old. And all of us, from young to old, have seen a rescue even greater than the rescue from slavery in Egypt, being rescued by Jesus from our slavery to sin. What do we talk about with the next generation? Of course, we want to share the history and the stories of of whatever nation we're from with the next generation. It's really important that we understand our heritages and that we understand the heritage of other people as well. That's really important. There are many good things. But most of all, we want to be passing on the goodness of God. Because all of us, whatever nation we're from, share in the heritage that we have in our God and his rescue of us in Christ and into his kingdom. And over the last few, few weeks, well, months really, um, I've been reflecting on the, the 11 years that we've had in this building now and the hundreds of people in the next generations that have been in the life of the church in that time. And already many in the next generations have experienced the goodness of God for themselves. They've come to know him, belonging and serving. Some are are leading in churches here and and elsewhere for which we, we praise God. And yet I do also want to acknowledge something that's very important for us pastorally and for our prayers and I acknowledge the pain that there is of knowing and loving those in the next generation who, who have heard something of the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord here in the last 11 years, but so far who have not responded in repentance and faith. And I I can't say that I presently know the pain of that as a parent, as some of you do. But I assure you that I am aware of it as a pastor. And we must pray for those currently in that situation. And in such circumstances, we cast ourselves on the character and the mercy of God. And crucially, upon his sovereignty, upon his kingship, as the psalm opens with. And know that, verse 8, the Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. So for those you know who are in that kind of situation, all all is not lost. God's timescales are different from our own, often much longer. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and rich in love. And our calling remains one of telling the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord. Our friends, we have ever-growing opportunities to be part of what God is doing. 
There are 300 children and young people who are part of our groups here on Sundays across a month. And many others throughout the week in various ways, from, from those who are at the heart of the church to those all the way through to those who are from other faith backgrounds, to others who are at different points in their spiritual engagement. It's important as well that we're a church that takes safeguarding very seriously through our training, through our culture, through our policies and our practices. And I want to say thank you to those of you who, particularly who, who are involved in that. Thank you. And, and in regard to our ministry, in regard to our ministry to the next generation, we want to, we want to explain better why we do what we do. So for example, we want to explain why our children and young people are with us in the gathered congregation at the, in the first half of the service, so that we have young and old worshipping together. And so let me speak to all of us. I'm speaking to parents, and, but I'm actually speaking to all grown-ups. Younger people and children need to see you singing in worship. They need to watch as you read the Bible here. They need to engage with us as we all of us participate in prayer. They need to see you living out verse 7. They, verse 7, they celebrate your abundant goodness, joyfully sing of your righteousness. And they need to see us lamenting as well. So yes, some ages, as we've just seen, some ages go through to their own teaching groups. But as the young people get older, we pick up the frequency with which they remain in for the whole of the worship service, being gradually helped to engage with Bible teaching, maturing. And we gather young and old for participating together in worship every Sunday. And that's deliberate. That's deliberate. There's an organization that is based in the, in the US called the Gospel Coalition. And uh, uh, a few months ago, they ran an essay contest. And what they did, they, they invited people from Gen Z, Generation Z, to write about various topics. And the response was revealing. They said this. The most selected topic by far was the prompt, why I love my local church. In a time when church attendance among Gen Z is waning, nearly one-third of entrants chose to describe the beauty of the congregations where they worship every Sunday. And the overwhelming majority of those essays focused not on polished programs or splashy events, but on ordinary people in ordinary churches who show up each Sunday, who love Christ sincerely, greet young people by name, and take an interest in their lives. For those of us wondering how to spiritually engage Generation Z, then the surprisingly simple answer might be by being ordinary people in ordinary churches who show up each Sunday, love Christ sincerely, Greet young people by name. And even if you get the name wrong, have another. I've already done that this morning. Have another go. Don't worry. I've already done it, and it's only just gone 10 o'clock. Greet young people by name. 
and take an interest in their lives. And at a slightly older level, I love that our Fruitful Faith in Later Life group is having lunch with our 20s and 30s group here on a couple of Sundays' time. Contact the office if you'd like to sign up for that. I now miss out on that because I fall between both groups, but never mind. And actually, today, the 1st of October, is the International Day of Older Persons. And I've been giving thanks to God for the older people in Cornerstone. What a rich privilege it is to be part of a church that has young and old and everywhere in between. I've mentioned before that I, I did consider changing our mission to, say, to saying making disciples of, uh, of Jesus in Nottingham, all nations and all generations, and that would be true. But I did decide to keep that emphasis on the next generation to reflect that biblical emphasis described here of one generation passing on the good news to the next. And as we've seen this morning, we also believe that God is inviting us to be part of raising up the next generation of leaders as we saw earlier with the ministry development scheme. And my sense for that is God is, God is bringing us the people. God is sending us the people and inviting us to be part of all that he's doing. And we also, well, my sense overall is that that really it's an invitation, a calling to raise up fresh generations of Daniels, of Esthers, of Josiahs, to serve the Lord, not just in the church, but in the workplace, in our neighborhoods, in our communities. Like those people from the Old Testament, the names that I've mentioned, the godly men and women from whom we can learn and who point us to Christ. Well, verses 9 to 13, I'm not going to read those again, but they show us that our God's kingdom extends to all people and endures through all generations. And then we move on to verses 14 to 20. And we see here that our God created the rhythms, the patterns, the seasons in our world, and it's his faithfulness which, which still gives the world stability, even in the midst of its fallen and fractured state. And as we read these verses, see how people in the ancient world, remember they were, they were much closer to the harsher side of life than probably any of us are. They were still able to praise God for his provision. Verse 14, the Lord upholds all who fall down and lifts up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food at the proper time. You open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and faithful in all he does. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He hears their cry and saves them. The Lord watches over all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. The Lord provides food and every good gift in our lives. And of course, tragically, through human evil and greed around the world that results in some not having enough food. So, so we need to be a generous people. We've got a role to play in meeting need. We showed a small aspect of that in our harvest collection for Grace Church's Food Bank and Baby Basics last week. And as Phil said earlier, we will only be a generous people if we're following our generous God. See what you make of this quote that will be on the screen. 
We who are God's people need to be quite deliberate in our practice of thanksgiving. The simplest way to do that is by saying grace before and after our daily meals. By those prayers, we acknowledge that God the Father provides us with our daily bread and receive it with thanksgiving. Nothing else is more appropriate than that. Nothing else is better for our bodies and more countercultural than that. As we thank God the Father for our daily bread and every good and perfect gift, we come to appreciate them and become more aware of God's hand in our physical lives and in the world around us. Thanksgiving attunes us and our bodies to God's daily provision for us. As I was preparing for, uh, for these weeks, I listened to uh, Peter Lewis, our former senior pastor, to his sermon on, these, on this psalm, which was preached in May tw- uh, 2010. And that was very moving to listen to for, uh, for lots of reasons. And this building, well, this building existed only on drawings at that point in 2010. But our, our God provides our God provides. And the Lord's provision since then has been amazing. Overwhelming. After we moved here in 2012, the Lord blessed us with more and more people coming. And eventually we sensed the Lord's call to start a new church to the west of the city. So in 2017, Redeemer Church began. And we, we sent quite a lot of people, quite a lot of core people Uh, to that church, 80 adults, 30 to 40 children. And at the time, if you were here, you'll know this, that felt like like quite a lot of people to send. It was at the upper end, in fact, it was just over the upper end of what felt doable for, uh, for Cornerstone to send and to be able to know we'd continue to thrive. And so we thought and we planned and we prayed. And... And then we were given a a prophetic word, which the elders weighed and then shared with the church. And the prophetic word was that the flour and the oil will not run out. The flour and the oil will not run out. The original Old Testament context, 1 Kings 17, is that the, the Lord, through Elijah, the prophet Elijah, promises a widow and her son that, that they'll be provided flour and oil to make bread in obedience to the Lord, and that would continue. The flour and the oil will not run out. Well, for us, it gave us confidence to, and courage to step forward in obedience to the Lord in, in planting Redeemer Church, trusting that, that new people would come to Cornerstone to be the flour and the oil, as it were. And that was six years ago. Well, a couple of weeks ago, the elders and many of the staff team, we had an away day, and we, we met at Redeemer Church, meeting in the old town hall, which God, had, uh, God has provided for them as a building. I mean, that's, that's another story of God's provision, but there we go. And do you know that... Redeemer Church are now welcoming up to 300 people each Sunday morning. They've actually had to borrow some of our chairs. And in those years here at Cornerstone, God has provided the flour and the oil. Many of you are here today. 
In 2020, we were given the faith to grow to three services from two, making room for more people to hear about Jesus. And we were looking at some of our, uh, the numbers recently, and now, typically, we're welcoming, uh, on average, 50 more people at our 9.15 a.m. service than we were at this time last year, 50 more people at our 11.15 a.m. Uh, as well. The flour and the oil, our God provides, and he invites us to make bread. He's providing the people, and we trust that he will provide the finances that are needed too. I love this quote, which I think might be from from Augustine. God does not ask us to tell him our needs that he may learn about them, but in order that we may be capable of receiving what he is preparing to give. And as we share what we believe God is inviting us to be part of, we need to ask him to provide for that in people and in finances. And we estimate that our monthly giving will need to climb by around £15,000 if we're able to be a month, if, if we're able to be fully part of all the Lord is inviting us to do. And that seems like a big number, but if, if for example, if 50, pay, 50 people gave £200 and 30 people gave £150 and 10 people gave £50 a month, then we'd be well on the way there. And if you're already giving financially, as many of you are, then, then thank you. I don't know who gives, and I don't know who gives, gives what. But if, if you are giving financially, then thank you, especially in, difficult, in the difficult economic climate. Please do continue giving if you're able. And if you're in, in a position to increase that giving, as some of you might be, then please do so, or give a one-off gift. And if you're not yet giving regularly financially, could you consider beginning that, even if the amount to you seems small at the start? There are pages in our booklets that that tell you how you can give. There are QR code links there, and I think there'll be one on the screen as well. You see, God provides through his people. The Lord promises that the flour and the oil will not run out And then we're invited to make bread. If you were here last week in the all-age service, I mentioned uh, the book, Thank You, God, for a Loaf of Bread. This is a book from my childhood. I've not kept it all that time, but I managed to get hold of one for this week. So here's a copy, and it tells the story of, uh, of Mark. And it tells how Mark went to the shop to buy a loaf of bread. And he said, thank you, shopkeeper, for my loaf of bread. Don't thank me, said the shopkeeper. I only kept the bread until you bought it. You must thank the one who gave me the bread. So Mark went to say thank you to the delivery driver. And the delivery driver said, don't thank me. I only brought the bread in the van to the shop. You must thank the ones who baked it. So Mark went to the baker's. Thank you, bakers, for my loaf of bread. Don't thank us, said the bakers. We only bake the bread from the flour. You must thank the one who gave us the flour. So Mark went to say thank you to the millers, and then the grain carriers, and then those who made the grain store, and so on. They all said the similar thing. Then he went to the farmer, and then the soil, and the rain, and the sun, and eventually 
Mark comes to say thank you to God and he prays. Thank you, God, for making the soil, the rain and sun and for the seeds that grow. Thank you, God, for helping people make the grain store. And thank you for the carriers. Thank you for the millers. Thank you, God, for the bakers and for the delivery man and for the shopkeeper. And thank you, God, for my loaf of bread. Amen. Now, that is a very simple book that my parents read with me. But you know what? Decades on, I remember that. And what I particularly love about this book, as I've read it again this week, is that actually it shows us our role as creatures and God's role as creator. He is the source and we thank him. And yet, did you, did you pick up, did you see how he also gives human beings, human beings made in his image, he gives us very, very significant responsibilities. The farmers, the grain carriers, the delivery drivers, the shopkeepers. Do you see how it comes back, it comes back to where we started? Worshipping our creator God in our jobs, in our vocations, in our purposeful endeavor that the Lord has given us, whatever that might be. He invites us to be part of what he's doing. Our God provides and our God invites. And the psalm closes in praise, verse 21. My mouth will speak in praise of the Lord. Let every creature praise his holy name forever and ever. All creatures are called to praise in a sense, but only human beings can give voice to that worship. Only we can speak our praise to the God who has spoken to us. And he has spoken most clearly in the word, his son, Jesus Christ, the bread of life.